Hey, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. Recently, my dad and I got to interview JJ Virgin, who wrote a couple of best-selling diet books about her virgin diet. She crusades against sugar, so when we told her Warren Buffett loves Coca-Cola and drinks eight Cokes a day, it was pretty funny to hear her reaction. She has a new book out about her success mindset, and her ideas are so useful to those of us learning investing that we kept chatting for two podcast episodes. This is the first of our two-episode interview with JJ Virgin. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Town. This is Danielle Town. And we are here for the Invested Podcast, where we're trying to figure out how to invest like guys like Warren Buffett. And Charlie Munger. And Danielle's learning from me. I've been doing it for about 30 years, and you guys have been listening to the podcast. Know that we are deep in the weeds most of the time about how to figure out what companies we should be buying and what they're worth and how to do it and all that stuff, but not tonight. Yeah, so we've been doing our Back to Basics series, and tonight I think actually what we have is a great follow-on to that series. I we do. It's perfect. Uh, I've been friends with um, a, a really incredible best-selling author who has has had a huge impact on my life, and I, I just wanted to kind of Ooh, I want to hear about a little that. Bit. Tell us. Because uh, the, the person that's on here tonight with us um, is J.J. Virgin, who is an incredible author who wrote this, this bestseller called The Virgin Diet and followed up with three more huge, huge successful books. And, um, and so, J.J., welcome to the podcast. We're glad to have you on here. You might as well say hi Thank to everybody. So they know Good to be here. here. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to tell you, thank you for... Um, all of the work that you did on these these previous books, which have been an incredible impact on me and my family, uh, particularly my uh, Danielle's stepbrother uh, Hunter, who uh, who along with me and my wife Melissa got off of sugar hardcore because Yay. of your book, which is amazing. <laughs> and I have mentioned this in our classes. We do these classes once a month with people coming into Atlanta. We talk about investing, but we also talk about a lot of things that impact us as people and certainly you know not being healthy and not and not having the physical fitness that we want is a big deal for everybody and so i always mention that i got off sugar and i don't invest in coca-cola anymore and i think i told you that <laughs> once it's like i'm not investing in coca-cola <laughs> and we have we have this you know we have this point of view that we have to invest where our values are because that really connects us to our money in a way that, you know, just sort of, you know, you have to think about your money as a vote for what's going to happen in the world. So I'm not voting for Coca-Cola in the world anymore. And my mentor, um, you know, we follow Warren Buffett really closely. And Buffett, of course, is a huge shareholder of Coca-Cola. His son is on the board. He is an unabashed regular drinker of Coca-Cola. Absolutely unabashed. Oh, my gosh. I, it, it just blows my mind that people still drink these things. I know. Well, I, mean, I, just I think he just loves it. it so much that he doesn't care that he might die from it. Right. And he's 86. So, yeah. you know, like, he, do, do he's, he's like another George Burns. You know, there's always those anomalies out there. <laughs> out there with his cigar. Yeah. yeah that at everyone and goes, well, he can do it. I'm like, because he's just, he's not normal. He's probably an alien. So you're going to love this in part because of the work you've done in America about sugar. Um, well, let me, let me preface by saying that every year Warren has a meeting in Omaha and every year that meeting attracts more and more um, shareholders of Berkshire Hathaway. Last year it was something like 45,000 people came to this meeting, this annual meeting. 
And in it last year, someone, you know, you get to answer, you, they, people get to ask questions until he's tired of answering them. And someone asked him, why are you investing in Coca-Cola? Aren't you worried about your health? So JJ, you're, you're reaching <laughs> huge number of people here. And what Warren said is, he says, I, I like, I like my Cokes. I drink like eight Cokes a day because oh they, my gosh, <laughs> because they make Someone me happy. Because they make oh, they make God. me happy. He said, "I've been to Whole Foods. Nobody's smiling at Whole Foods. <laughs> the place cracked up. Forty thousand people started laughing." He doesn't go to the one in Boulder. No, he doesn't go to the say. one in Boulder. So. The, uh, first, I just want to thank you for for the work that you've done, and 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 tonight, what we're going to talk about is not about diets. I hope, well, although we can we can certainly get there, but I really want to talk about something that I think is is a a more foundational issue um, because you have a memoir coming out called The Miracle Mindset, which is your 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 mother. It's, it's a mother, her son, and life's hardest lessons is the name of it. Miracle Mindset, and you guys, this is coming out in February. 21st and we're going to talk about that in the context of what we do because in this book JJ is exploring out you know the kind of lessons that I mean JJ you're an incredibly powerful person an incredibly powerful woman and you have really learned a lot from going through this horrendous uh, experience when your son got hit uh, in a hit in a brutal hit and run accident and I, I really want you to share with us tonight, um, if you will, the lessons that you learned from that process that, that make you who you are today, because I think they have a direct correlation. I really, really believe that there's a direct correlation between the mindset that you have and, and your success as an investor. I think those two things are, are beyond deeply connected and we don't give it enough time. So if, if you will, let's talk about that. So. Let's yeah, I love that you brought it. that up because I think, uh, you know, the, the key thing here is that you can never outrun your mindset. It is going to impact every decision in your life, whether it's your, you know, deciding to drink the Cokes or not, what kind of relationships you choose, how you feel and, and invest your money, what you do in your career. Everything is guided by this. And so when you can focus on when you understand that you can actually upgrade, uplevel, your mindset. You can build it. I call it a muscle. To me, mindset is that is that other muscle that we can build. And when you do, it will then up-level every area of your life automatically. So what happened, maybe just give us the, the synopsis of what happened with your son and how you developed this miracle mindset. And this is, this is like the parent's worst nightmare, Phil. So, and Danielle, I know you haven't had kids yet, I'm assuming, since you're just she newlywed. Has, she has right? three already. <laughs> Wait, you've got no, three no, kids? No, she doesn't. Oh, I could have three what? kids. It's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I have no kids. You're There's right. no kids. No so my, I have two boys. They were 15 and 16. And I was just getting ready to launch the Virgin Diet. And I had done, I had invested everything into that. That was to me like my biggest, uh, my biggest opportunity. So I'd invested every dime of my advance. I'd invested everything I had. I'd borrowed. I mean, I was all in, right? It's that whole idea. If you want to take the island, burn all the boats. I was all in. I was, <laughs> it was going for it. And a couple of weeks before this is all set to start playing out. I have a public television special, the whole bit. My son who my son's got bipolar disorder. So things were always kind of up and down. 
but he got into a really good point. I came home one day. He was in one of those moods and uh, got mad at me, stormed out the door barefoot at dusk, no ID on him or anything. And, um, barefoot. you know, I kind of went, he, he said, you know, I'm not as strong as you think I am, mom, stormed out the door. I went into the garage to go work out. Next thing I know, my other son comes running into the garage and says, Mom, Grant's been hit by a car and airlifted to the local hospital. And we went and ran over there with my ex-husband. Now, we knew nothing because they wouldn't give us any information because he was John Doe. And in fact, the only reason we even knew he was airlifted was my ex-husband and my son Bryce stumbled upon the accident. They drove, they decided to go left instead of right, like first miracle, because had they not found him, he would have died in that hospital as a John Doe. The, one of the policemen on the scene looked at my son Bryce and said, oh, the the kid looked just like him because they're, they're Irish twins, you know, a year apart. So we get there and they usher us into a room, you know, they won't even let us see him. And they tell us that he's had a serious accident. He has a torn aorta that kills 90% of the people on the scene. It's now hanging on by an onion skin, which means if it's not repaired, it's going to rupture sometime in the next 24 hours. Mm -hmm. He's got multiple brain bleeds. He's in a deep coma and 13 fractures. He literally had bones sticking through his skin, covered half his body in road rash with glass and gravel. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just unbelievable to see, but they said, you know, we cannot fix this torn aorta here because we can only do this surgery with a blood thinner. It's a very specialized surgery, and he'd have to get airlifted to another hospital. But if we airlift him, he'll never survive that. And even if he did, he's not going to survive the surgery. And even if he were to survive both of those, the chance he'd ever be normal is is, is near, so slim. I mean, he's going to be so brain damaged. So my son Bryce looks at him and says, so like a 0.25% chance. The doctor says, yes. And Bryce says, we'll take those odds. And uh, <laughs> and if you knew my son, he is so this kid. So we overruled the doctors. We had him airlifted. We got him to this amazing surgeon. He survived the airlift. He survived the surgery. He was in a deep coma that neurosurgeons were like, we don't think he'll ever wake up. And, um, you know, that's what I, that's where I launched the New York Times. I literally launched the New York Times bestseller from the ICU next to my son in a coma and I looked at this whole thing and I went, all right, my son's in a coma. I'm not leaving. Uh, third leading cause of death, by the way, is death by doctors. Is death is hospitals are like the worst place to really be. You have to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to leave, but I also had to launch this book. And come on, it's my book. And I just went into high gear. I looked at my son and was holding his hand and I said, you know, we've got this, you're a warrior, you're going to be 110%. That was the principle I operated from that I've been operating from for the last four and a half years as we've been pulling him out of this brain injury. And I said, this big book is going to be the biggest thing ever, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and my friends who knew me well, because a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, you know, my friends who knew me well go, oh, now you're really going to make this thing go. And I go, I, I have to, like I, my, my medical bills, my unreimbursed medical bills last year were $55,000, oh you know? Gosh. It's like I looked and went, whatever it's going to take get, to get him better than he was before this accident, I'm all in. So what do I need to do here? And that's, you know, that's that's what this book is all about is, well, is those decisions. I mean, it's like when, you know, I've been through two really significant bush launch, you know, book launches where they, you know, they really intend to make your book a big success and they – 
you know, going into it, they make it make sure you as the author are going to be fully present and have all of your resources. You know, it's 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 you know everybody into the breach at and and when this launches, there's I don't I don't think there's very many things I've ever done in my life that were as intense as as a book launch. The immediate first days of it are just insane. You know, they oh, have, yeah. they have a hundred <laughs> radio shows. You know, they have. Uh-huh. Dozens of television appearances. I was I was doing those out of the hospital. They got me a separate room. <laughs> Unbelievable, JJ. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and I had a public television special, and I did the Today Show. And Rachel, I mean, I was I had to go run out and then come back. My ex husband would come in when I'd run out, but oh, oh it was insanity. Gosh. And he was in the hospital four and a half months. You know, oh uh, it was insanity. All right, so and you that was the easy part. Fully yeah, that convinced. was the easy part. You, yeah, easy that was the was easy part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the hard part? Well, you know, what I was told when he was coming through the brain injury, now just some stats that I was completely unaware of. And by the way, my son actually had one of those near-death experiences where he said, you know, the gray man came down and asked me if I wanted to live or die. And he was already like on the other side talking to grandpa and it was really nice over there. He goes, but I kept hearing you talk because I literally sit next to him with my laptop open talking about what I was doing for the book launch because I was like, I know he can hear. So I'm going to just talk to him. And he said, so I decided to stay. Um, just crazy stuff but what they were told told us about the brain injury is they said okay well when he comes you know when he gets wakes up from the coma it will be ugly that was the that was what i was told it will be ugly and the you know the brain has its own time schedule it just takes time to heal completely wrong advice by the way that is absolutely misinformation luckily i knew that because of you know, being in the field of nutrition and health and having so many amazing functional medicine doctors in my world. And I'd already sent out an SOS and had amazing advice, but helping someone come through a brain injury is like nothing you've ever experienced. They don't have an internal editor. They can be crazy, rageful, aggressive. You know, they're, it's kind of like getting a really big baby. You know, because Grant had to relearn his name, how to eat, how to talk, how to go to the bathroom, how to brush his teeth, how to tie his shoes, everything. And at first he couldn't remember from one minute to the next. So it was sort of like, you know, Groundhog's Day movie over and over again. Um, But he was he would become the Incredible Hulk. He was scary, violent at times. And it, it just was amazing to come through now. 17 million people a year have a brain injury. 25 percent of them have suicidal ideations, attempt it. And uh, it's a very dangerous thing, massive depression, anxiety, memory loss. It's one of the top causes of death. I think it's actually the leading cause of death now in children is uh, brain injury and all the problems from it. So I knew all this going in, and we had multiple suicide attempts over the last four years bringing him out of this. I mean, where we'd all, you know, it's like, as you can imagine, after all the stuff I'd gone through, he would go and swallow a handful of pills. And I'm like, oh, no, you don't. You know, not after all this. No, you don't. So it was um, incredible to go through. It kind of it gave me another big mission because I had no idea of this information. Most people don't. And, you know, it's like you you just sent me home with I mean, I thought it was crazy when they sent me home with a baby. I'm like, where is the instruction manual? What am I supposed to do with this? You know, I'm like, I didn't even know you were supposed to burp a baby. I'm like, I shouldn't have been given this. This is, you know, like, give me some training here. But a brain injury is a whole nother level. Oh, my gosh. When you were facing that moment in the hospital, knowing that 
he had just survived the airlift and you were going to go through all of this massive rehabilitation and surgeries and you were going to stick with him through all of that but you had the book launch at the same time i think a lot of people would say i gotta put the book to the side i mean this is my family <clears throat> yeah but you I don't have loved that, that part that, exactly there's a part in your book when you talk about um the people depending on you and um and how much effort and money had gone into it but what actually gave you the strength to say at that moment, I'm going to do both? You know, and it was very interesting. One woman posted on my Facebook page because I played this all out on Facebook. I had no time. I said, all I'm doing is saving my son's life and making this book huge. That's it. And taking care of my health. Those Two are the things. three things, nothing three things. else. You know, well, Only those things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> only those things. Everything else was by the way. And of course, making sure my other son was okay. And my ex-husband had to like really step. He, he My ex-husband's like a saint, amazing human. Oh, so, but I knew that I didn't have a choice there. Some woman on Facebook posted, don't worry about your job. It will be there waiting for you. Oh, and I'm thinking, I don't know what planet you're on, but I don't have a job. A, B, I will have a bunch of people who work for me who are single moms taking care of their families out of work. Yeah. And you don't get another chance with New York publishers. You know, you don't, granted, they, they are going to be kind, but they're not going to be, be business foolish. I mean, I had a huge advance. It either went or it didn't. Right. And you can't delay a pub date like that. So it was going to go with or without me. I'd lose all the momentum. And I also knew that I'm the financial support for my family. I'm the sole financial support. It ends with me. And so there was no option but to just step up and do it. But people always have that option, JJ. They, you didn't feel you had an option other than to just step up and do it. But people back away from those kind of challenges in their lives all the time. And I think that that's one of the most difficult things for people to see is, is there a way to develop that kind of strength that, you know, can you build that muscle in some kind of way? Because, you know, we, I mean, we have a ton of students who are facing maybe challenges that are not on that level, but they've got their own challenges. I mean, everybody listening to this podcast has their own personal issues that they're dealing with. You know, they all need another 48 hours a day to, to accomplish the things they need to accomplish. And when you say, I didn't, I didn't have a choice that, that, reflects some kind of a mindset, right? Some Something is in your mind that says, you know, like we talked about a minute ago, that I burned the ships. I, I'm going to die or I'm going to win. It's, <laughs> where where so, do you get that? You know what's so great is, um, and think about this, Phil, especially think about the group we're in together. I started to look at all the people in my life because what happened after I got through the initial part of this is that was the big question I kept getting asked. They're like, how'd you do that? Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, at first they're like, oh, it's because you were really healthy. I'm like, well, you know, that that helped. It mm -hmm. definitely helped. And and one of the big crusades I'm on is like, you never know when these things are going to hit. You better be healthy. You can't walk into the ICU with even a sniffle. You know, you're point. gloved. And so you have to be game on and be able. And plus, when when you're really working hard, you have to have the energy, the focus. There's no room for, you know, there's no room for donuts and Coca-Cola. Sorry. You you have to be totally on it. There's actually never room for that. Um, but I realized in talking to people who I admire, who've done amazing things in life, who've created a big impact out there, and also looking back at my own life, that I'd been in training for this my whole life, that the best 
things that we grow from are the worst things that we experience at the time. You know, it's like you look back at them and you realize that we were going to call this book the best worst year, that the worst things really create the best outcomes for you. And Grant even said, I asked him a couple of weeks ago, I said, honey, if you had the chance, like, let's take you back four and a half years ago and put you on the side of the road and you can cross the street or not. And what would you do? He said, I'd cross the street. Wow. Because no I'm better, better for it. And, uh, wow, it's, if you look at it, I can't name one situation in my life where something amazingly beautiful has happened and I've grown because of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, now we're into the anti-motivational part yeah. of the podcast. I'm sure terrible things happen to you. You know, well, no, but here's the thing. What if the thing that happened to you was the best thing that happened to you? What if, you know, those challenging things, facing near bankruptcy, you know, having, I, I found out that my dad was dying of cancer. My son was bipolar. My ex-husband had like not paid taxes and stuff during our divorce, during our marriage and was now suing me for like my business. You know, I found out all of this stuff at the same time. And I look at the year that that happened as one of the best years of my life. But it also put me in training because the more that you face these things and instead of running from them, because, hey, here's what we know. We all have challenges. We're going to have more of them. Like I'm not sitting over here talking to you going with with perfect life by any stretch of the imagination. There are stuffs going on that's scaring me. There's challenges and there always will be. And it's how we show up for those that makes the difference. So how right? Do I mean, you show up for those in a way that builds you up instead of breaks you down. So it's part of this whole idea of this mindset. So the big the big thinking here, and and Carol Dweck is this psychologist from Stanford who first identified that there's two mindsets. There's Mm -hmm. the fixed mindset. That is the victim out there who thinks life happens to them. They don't really have any choice in the matter. What's going to happen is going to happen, right? And then there's the growth mindset. And those are the people that know that they can develop this, that they life happens through them, by them. They have a choice in the matter. They can build and develop. And so once you accept that, because I don't know why you'd want the other one, then you you say, okay, so let's say mindset's a muscle, which I have to do. I'm a health, you know, I'm a nutrition and fitness expert. So everything's going to get tied back to the metaphors I know. Mm-hmm. But here's mindset's a muscle. What are the key attributes? Because for me, I'm super analytical. I'm super left brain. I'm sure you guys can appreciate that. And if I can't measure it, I don't know how to manage it or improve it. So I had to I'm first go. I'm the opposite go. of you, JJ. Just so you oh, know. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, no, my gosh. I'm with you, JJ. <laughs> All right. I am so left brain that as I started, as people started to ask me, what did you do? I'm like, I was like Spock over there going, what did I do? You know? <laughs> and, uh so I literally went through and went, okay, let's look at all of the attributes, and which really became the lessons. Like, let's look at what are the key attributes here, because once I could identify them, then I could figure out how to measure an attribute in a person, and then I could figure out how to build that, build that attribute and create this bigger muscle. Well, and so that huge. was the first part of it. Um, Were which you took able a while to, to identify the attributes that yes. led to this yes, mindset? Yes. And, and so the first one, obviously, and here's the coolest part about this. 
is that there's science behind it, which I love. You know, it's not just this. Yeah. One of the challenges that I often have in personal development is it feels too amorphous. Absolutely. It's not quantifiable. I don't know if I got better. That super frustrates me. Mm. So <clears throat> there is science behind this. If you look at the science now, it's showing that people who are more resilient are happier in life. They're more successful in life. And the studies show if you've gone through stresses, if you've gone through challenges and stepped into them and showed up, you're happier, you're better off, you're more successful, and you're able to take on bigger things. So resilience is obviously one of them, and you can actually train resilience. So that is super cool. One of the easiest ways to train resilience is through gratitude. Wow. Tell there us it is. more about that. So here's what's amazing too, and this is why it's so critical to be doing this now. And that's why I wanted to quantify it and create, create a training for it because otherwise you're like, oh, okay, I need to do that. You'll never do it. But if, if listeners just did this one thing, and again, it will impact everything. It will impact your ability to invest. It will impact your relationships. If all you did was say, I'm gonna do this. It'll take a minute a day. I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm going to pull out a journal because you have to physically write it. You want your pen to paper. It's going to activate your brain. And you write down three people or three things that you're grateful for and feel it as you're writing it. Can't be Spock over there on this. But you have to really feel like, you know, I generally write down every day I'm grateful for my fiance. That one always gets in. It's usually my family. And then we go from there, you know, team or dog or, you know, health or whatever. Mm -hmm. But and you don't have to limit it to three. You can fill up the whole page. But just that action alone changes everything. That's what I did every day when my son was in the hospital. I actually um, I'm in Hal Elrod's new Miracle Mindset for Entrepreneurs. And that was the story. It's like every morning I had my I had my morning ritual that saved me because I was so I mean, you can imagine how terrifying this was. You know, I'd walk into the hospital and my son's lying there in a coma and staring off into space, you know, and I'm sitting going, you're going to be 110%, right? Oh so, you know, there's no indication he's going to be 110%. There's no indication he's going to be there in the next day. So, well, there, uh, I have to tell you, there's, this is an incredible, I, I love it when I can get something that's really actionable to do to make me better. Um, I went over to Japan a couple of years ago with um, Marcy Shymoff and, and Janet Atwood, um, who you, you know. Yes. And, um, and we went over there to meet with Wahei Takeda, who had read my book. And Wahei, have, have I ever told you this story, JJ? Uh-uh. Oh, listen to yep. this. This is, this is crazy that you should bring this up, this gratefulness thing. So I, we meet with Wahei. He's there with Ken who's, Honda. Who's Wahei Takeda? Oh, Wahei Takeda is the Warren Buffett of Japan. He's uh -huh. an 80-year-old billionaire, all self-made through investing in other people's companies, following the same exact principles that Warren Buffett followed and the principles I was writing about. And he, he had read my book, he'd got published in Japanese and wanted to meet me, which was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And, and so I go over there and um, and, the, and we sat down and what, what he really wanted to tell me was the technology through which he became a billionaire. The technology of being a billionaire. He said, well, you know, Warren Buffett's defined the, the, the sort of the box we get in as a value investor. You know, we're looking for something that is a wonderful business and we want to buy it when it's on sale. Those are the basics. And 
we all follow those basics. And that's, of course, what I teach people and stuff. And that's what I'm teaching Danielle. But he said that's the technology that made that all possible was what he called Maru, M-A-R-U. And he said, I, he said, Phil, I want to teach you to Maru up, right? <laughs> and, he's, and this is through a translator. I want to teach you to Maru up. I said, okay, well, so tell me what Maru is. And he says, well, when I would invest in a company, I would go to the, the chief executive officer of the company and I would say, I want you to understand um, my principles of investing and I believe that they will help make this company a better company. Um, and the principle is called Maru. And he said, well, I would tell the CEO that the more the CEO could input this idea of gratefulness into his mm. company every day to teach his people to be grateful every day, every moment, the better the company will perform as a company. And if the CEO would would accept that idea and would start to implement it in his company, in his newsletters, in his company meetings, in, in the board meetings and so on, then Wahe would stay with the investment. And if the guy didn't do it, just was politely, thank you, but no, then Wahe would sell his investment and move on to a different company. He only wow. invested companies that were implementing. Talk about putting your money where your money wow. is. Wow. Yeah, putting your money where your gratefulness is. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of those companies went so far as to hire choirs who you know, maybe 15 people who are being paid full time to to sing songs of gratefulness all day long. And so why I said, so so why? Hey, what do you what do you actually do? What, what is the process? He said, I think that I I do it just unconsciously now, almost unconsciously. It's obviously conscious, but just without thinking about it much. A thousand times a day, JJ, a thousand times a day, be grateful for something. I'm just grateful in this moment because the sky's blue or I'm grateful because it's raining or I'm just thankful that it's a beautiful day. Whatever. He, he was much sort of less focused than what you're doing with the journaling. And I got to tell you, I, I've, you know, ever since that time, I've been teaching that in my classes that you guys go out there and do this. What you just taught me was to make it more specific because I find that it's when you leave it sort of general like that, I go days without even thinking about it, you know? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm just going to go. Well, that's also overwhelming too. Like I can do three. Anyway, you I, know, can do three. I, I was a, you know, hey, I've been a weight loss coach forever. So I know that it cannot be super simple, fast to do. I like to say little hinges swing big doors, right? And that right. they'll actually do it forget it and you know hey, if i could pull this off when i was in the hospital 12 hours a day and yeah. you know yeah we can do this I, I this is so much more doable and achievable i do you mind if i just immediately implement that in my next class <laughs> please please do <laughs> please i do want to i do want to ask you though it's interesting what you just said that if you could do it in the hospital anybody can do it anytime which of course is technically true but i find that when we're in moments of crisis you tend to lean on those practices of spirituality or practices of religion or you know whatever you have internally to get you through it and then when things get easier maybe it's just me but I tend to let those things go it's much oh, when, yeah, when yeah. things are good for me I'm I tend to not do them when things are bad I need help and I tend to lean on them do you have any advice for how to deal with sort of mundane normal days <laughs> <laughs> Habits create structure that creates freedom. You want these things dialed in. Um, I, 
I think that one of the biggest success criteria for me is is starting the day with gratitude is the number one thing I teach because you never know when the, when the challenge is going to hit. But, you know, truthfully, we, we hit road bumps every single day. Hmm, yeah. Like you have moments every single day. So I, I actually extend it out. That's that first part of resilience is, you know, starting with gratitude. But I actually start the day in gratitude. I end the day with with wins, little things, because in this, this I had to implement because I literally got asked by someone. I was sitting in a, an event and they go, write down the things, the last, the cool things that happened for you in the last six months, write down five of them. Hmm. And I couldn't think of five. I couldn't like, I couldn't really think of anything. <laughs> this yeah, is a couple I, years. I know ago. that feeling, <laughs> right? So you're sitting here going, "I can't think of anything cool I've done." Now, I did three New York Times bestsellers in in 18 months, unheard of, and not recommended. Do not do that, <laughs> dumb. But I couldn't think of anything cool I'd done. I just launched a New York Times bestseller like a month before. I couldn't even. I forgot but that I I'd done you it. Could think of a whole bunch of things you wish you had done better. Yeah. So, but see, this is the human. That's that's typical and this is what we need to shift from is every day if you start the day with with gratitude and again this is a minute or less pull out of i literally have my journal sitting on my nightstand so that i will do that first pull it out write those down it just becomes it's so indoctrinated in me and then before bed ideally i just i always talk to my fiance about this or you you know check in text a friend but just think of three things even if you know it was like you had a great dinner. It doesn't matter. It's three wins for the day. You can always find three if you're still breathing. That's huge. I, I, I try to start every day, and I've been doing this now for about 40 years, I think, maybe more now, maybe 45 years. What are you talking about? With meditation. About? <laughs> I, I, I started learning, I learned to meditate in 1972 after I got back from Vietnam. And it's just simple meditation. Sit down, close your eyes any place. I can do it in an airplane. And, and do 20 minutes. And Danielle started meditating. I taught her to meditate when she was five. Yeah. And she's... she's... Do you realize how lucky you are, Danielle? Like, do, do you know it? I okay. do, for sure. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's something I can go to so easily when I need a break from stress. But, I mean, that's what I speak from a place of experience, which is, you know, in times of great stress, I'm very regular with my meditation. In, in good times, I'm less regular. I'm less regular, yeah. It's really true. I, I don't find that I need it as much, so I don't keep up with it. And, of course, that's the exact opposite of what I should be doing. I should be putting those experiences in the bank so that they're there yeah. when I need them in times of great stress. But I don't. That's just, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I think you have to attach it to a bigger, a bigger purpose behind it and a bigger why behind it and realize what it does and anchor it. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for listening to Invested, the Rule One podcast. If you like this episode, you can always get our show notes and more details and links to the resources we discussed at investedpodcast.com. Also, as long as you're online, head on over to investedpodcast.com slash workshop for details on an upcoming three-day live workshop that I'm hosting. All you gotta do to go is enter the special podcast code stockpile, that's S-T-O-C-K-P-I-L-E, stockpile, into the application form, and you guys can attend for free. So everything discussed on this show is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it is not to be taken as investment advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. 
This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really do hope you've enjoyed it. So until next week, it's time to go play. See ya.